Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast presented by Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football. As teams are back on the grid to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. So make sure to get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest. So make sure to head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, season opener between the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded. That is this Thursday, coming up in a few days here, kickoff for the NFL season. It is up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using promo code NFL100. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And a big thanks to our other sponsors. Well, Balance 7, you can see how Balance 7 has helped many people. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BELIEVE, you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. If it worked for Lamar Odom, it can work for you too. So I feel like it was we had a great uh, racing weekend at Darlington. I know it didn't go the way that you, Tommy Joe, would have hoped it to go. Uh, you were running very well as far as you know the speed of the car. Uh, I felt like you guys had had a solid race going, and unfortunately, the mishap happened. And you know Riley Herbst was just nowhere to go, and, and, and really terrible. You know, thing to happen on the back straightaway. So, kind of take us through what I mean. What were you? Did you sense it coming? Kind of on that lap or before that? You know, the mechanical issue that happened. Yeah. So, right, just the lap before that, I queued up the radio and said that I felt like the motor was blowing up, and uh, we were going through one and two, and it started getting worse. I was really losing a lot of power. I think somebody went to pass me. I think it was maybe the ten car there at the exit of turn two. So we were side by side. Um, there were a few other cars lined up. I was trying to get to the inside. Uh, obviously, we were pretty slow. But it was just hard to get down. Uh, there was just kind of like a line of guys passing me there to the inside. Uh, finally, started kind of getting down uh, about at the three-quarter mark of the straightaway. and was still trying to get over when another car passed me to the inside. And that was kind of what Riley saw out of his windshield was uh, the two cars kind of split me. And I don't really think he could have done much uh, by the time he caught me. It was a pretty 
pretty bad angle. Um, so that was really it. Uh, motor blown up, car wrecked, uh, finished 37th, and, and you had been running uh, 14th, and we're running uh, the eighth fastest time on the racetrack because the tires were starting to wear out at the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. Darlington's something I look forward to all year. Uh, Capital City Hauling does a lot for us. That's like their big race that they care about. Um, we hit the track that, that I feel like I'm pretty good at. Um, we were able to score skate points there in the spring. Tried it again this time. I couldn't do anything. We were struggling a little bit there at the beginning of the race, but um, had gotten it better and, and we're looking to move forward. So it's just a bummer. That's a place that I look like as a top 10 opportunity for me personally. And uh, to finish at the back of the grid, that's just a, a bummer. So we're, we're evaluating what went on with the motor. See, uh, it was just something we couldn't have prevented or if it was something we could have prevented. Uh, that's now the third motor that we've blown up uh, over the course of 24 races. So if your motor's blowing up once every eight races, that's not very good. Uh, we've we got to do a little better than that. So obviously it's, it's hurt us in the points. Um, and it's really close. I mean, but this is something you and I've talked about on the pod a lot about that little battle there in the back for the top 20. And, and um, for Riley, to speak on that for a minute, I know that he's in a battle for the playoffs. And so that's like the worst possible thing that could happen for him too. So felt bad, obviously, about being involved in that. I don't really think there was a whole lot that really either one of us could have done in that moment. I would like to have said that I would have gotten over sooner, but it's not like I wasn't trying. I had my hand out the window and was trying to get over and just everybody kept well, – when cars are going 30 miles an hour faster than you, it's kind of hard to get out of the way. <laughs> but I was trying and obviously uh, wasn't able to do enough. Yeah, that owner's battle now that I you know look at it again for the 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, 20th, everybody is right there. I mean, that is close. From 19th to 25th, it's about only at – 40 point gap uh yeah but, but closer just counting those ones right they were around that that 19th to 22nd range i think that's only about 10 points uh between about four teams yeah you got you guys running 19th right now the josh williams 92 uh in 20th hour 23 21st 36 dgm 22nd it's it's crazy close right there and these are all like implications that we've talked about all year i mean there's different spots in the owner standings for every series really but for the xfinity series that top 20 is really where you want to be and you guys have been able to, to maintain that most of the year and and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes and now in the, the driver's end. points yeah and then the driver's points as well rj just not to speak out of turn here but um another really tight battle i think i'm 18th in the driver's points and yep. back to about 22nd i think there's about a 10 point spread <laughs> tops um and you also have brett moffett lurking there about 30 points back and, and you know they've been really fast so yeah that top 20 there as well as the owner's points really tight and then like we've talked about all year in the top 30 to try to stay in the bonus obviously that's that's a shifting target each and every week that several teams are still duking and out over. Yeah. And, and noted before the race that Brett Moffitt, you know, didn't compete, uh, medical right. issues, put him out of the race card. Ty Dillon got in the seat, got a pretty solid run, uh, as well for Ty Dillon. And, you know, Brett Moffitt's a guy who would have to win and put his way into the top 20 points. So obviously an unfortunate, you know, turn of events there to where he couldn't race at Darlington. But I know you've mentioned before, you look at Bristol as a place where Brett Moffitt could go and, and, you know, pull off the victory. 
and he is about looks like 30 40 ish in that range behind 20th so a win would obviously propel him high in the points and that's probably what they're going to need and we'll see if they can pull it off that'll be an interesting well, story with two races to go though um before the playoffs he would basically have to score stage points at richmond and bristol and win one of those races and have have to do a lot either me or landon or alex LeBay or josh williams uh really just have a, a bad race or two really uh to open up that kind of points gap so in in that short of a period of time now over the course of the next nine races and we start talking to the end of the year obviously that's wide open for any of us um we we have a, a saying here at martin's motorsports that a team's not dead until you got them 100 points back yeah uh, because where we run in our part of the field um, it's about 20 points for a top 15, roughly. It's 22 points. So you would basically have to finish dead last, and they would have to finish top 15 five races in a row to erase that kind of a deficit, right? So um, with Moffitt, he's an interesting case, though, because he's a guy that has run in the top 10 on speed and can score stage points. And when you're able to do that, you can flip the points pretty quickly. Brandon Brown would be a notch probably like right below that. Now, Brandon Brown has top 10 finishes. He has scored stage points, but is consistently probably in that 10 to 15 range, right? So you got to look at him as a guy that would probably be the absolute kind of bottom end of that. And Moffitt, I would put just a, probably a notch above that, just with his ability to get up in there and score stage points, kind of their speed uh, on the short run of some of these races. Yeah, it's crazy how at the beginning of the year, you know, we were wondering why Brett Moffitt was, you know, running for truck points instead of Xfinity points. And really, if he had been running Xfinity points this whole time, he'd be fighting for that last spot with, you know, Riley Herbst and Michael Annette. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances for Michael Annette would have put him back there, but he would have been right up there in, in the heat of the battle, which was crazy. And, and, you know, just a little probably too late on the point switch and everything like that. But it's still, it's still a great, um, showing of what the the our motorsports team can do this year with both of their race cars the 02 and the 23 i think ty dillon got top fifth was it top 15 or top 10 at darlington i'm gonna go look right now i think yeah ty dillon got 13th and you know tyler tyler reddick with a seventh place finish and they've had a few of those this year very good runs for uh that team this year and i'm sure that'll carry into next year yeah definitely uh you're able to see what they've been able to build um and it's a solid Xfinity program that's right there around the top 15 teams. Now, they have really stepped up their program this year with their engine program. and um, Also a tumultuous year for them uh, when you look at some of the changeover. Joe Williams kind of helped start that team last year. Um, he's now over with uh, Bobby Dodder's team at the 07. Uh, so middle of the year, they had to basically swap crew chiefs over to Pat Trison and have been able to kind of keep things going. I looked at that as a spot where maybe, you know, they might take a step back in a transition. And I think there were maybe a couple of bumps in the road where they had some mechanical problems. But for the most part, they've just kept trucking along and they keep showing up with fast race cars. And um, that's one of the teams that we look at every week as a barometer for what we're doing. Yeah. And, and let me talk about that cup race for a little bit here. That uh, cup race, Jeff Gluck's poll, it exceeded 90%. So we got a good one there. Uh, the 750 truthers are definitely showing out for that one. But I thought it was a really good race, really good night uh, for, for racing, really. Uh, it was just a lot of things happened. First race, the playoffs, Southern 500, obviously crown jewel race. 
And we just saw a lot of things happen, a lot of good racing and a, and a very intense finish as well. Um, Kyle Larson trying to pull what they called a video game move there on, on Denny Hamlin, just riding the wall to try to get him. But Denny Hamlin gets his first win of the 2021 season in the playoff opener. And I thought it was just all around a pretty solid race. He had a lot of things happening, you know, with playoff drivers. I mean, Hendrick Motorsports brought home basically four uh, destroyed race cars with with what Kyle Larson did at the on the last lap there. Kyle, Kyle decided he didn't want to leave one out. There. Yeah, he didn't want to leave one out, so he was going to total them all. So. Uh, and he almost won it too. So we had a lot of playoff implications, really hated it for McDowell. Uh, Cause I thought, you know, that was really, this was really their opportunity. They had to run well. They couldn't afford that. And man, just right out, just got a little loose and bam, ate up the inside wall. And now it's going to be, well, not as deep as a hole as they probably thought because so many other people had issues, Kyle Bush, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, William Byron, uh, so many people had issues that night, but ultimately I think, you know, Jeff Gluck's poll was correct. It was a, a very great race. And I think one that we'll remember for a while. And the question here becomes, was it a great race because it was the Southern 500 at Darlington? Was it a great race because of the package? Was it a great race because of the stakes being the first race, of the playoffs? And, and I would probably say, it's probably realistically a mix of all three things, yeah. right? So we're seeing these teams that would normally really be gunning for a win at, at one of the most premier races that we have in NASCAR. Uh, I would put it, <laughs> obviously the Daytona 500 stands above everything, but I would put it equal with the Coke 600 um, in a premier race when we think about our triple crown there um, in the NASCAR uh, cup ranks. So, I think Darlington is always going to produce good racing. I think it is a incredibly difficult racetrack um, that pushes drivers and equipment uh, to the max. And to put this in perspective for everybody, just how hard the Southern 500 is, we ran 200 miles at Darlington for our Xfinity race. 200 miles. We had five sets of tires. They're running 500 miles, 13 sets of tires around that place. When our race was over, you would have had to have run our race again and then another half of it. That's the length of it. So it's honestly, it's one of the most grueling things. People immediately look at the Coke 600 and go, ah, oh, 600 miles around that place. Gosh, that's brutal. And it is equally as brutal, 500 miles around Darlington running that close to the wall. Uh, like you've got to run to be good there uh, with a penalty on these cup cars that is way more harsh than it is with our Xfinity cars. I mean, I can tell you, I dragged just about like Kyle Larson did around turn three and four or earlier this year and came back and still finished 14th. We basically the whole right side knocked off my car. Kyle Larson couldn't do that. None of these guys could, if they got into the wall, it was damaged. It was cut tires, just bumping a fender like Chase Elliott did going three wide there, cut down a left front and your day's over. So the penalty here is tremendous. And I felt like watching that race, RJ, there was a clearly different tone and uh, aura uh, coming from the garage area. And that is just a whiff, just a, just a whiff of pressure in the air where all of these teams that had been locked in for the last several weeks, especially all the drivers with wins, and they had to execute now under sudden pressure at the hardest racetrack on the circuit. And it led to a lot of mistakes 
And so when I look back at some of my picks here to make the final four, and I look at Joey Logano, <laughs> these, these are the moments that I feel like I might actually know something because it's like, give me a guy that's been there. Give me a guy that's had to execute under pressure every year and just is in the top four, it feels like, every season. Well, why is that? Because he executes under pressure. And were they great last night at Darlington? This is a perfect example of how you win a championship. Was Joey Logano great at Darlington last night? No, he really wasn't. He wasn't really a factor for the win. But they went out and had a solid run and moved on to the next one. And then you look at the way the schedule shapes up. Richmond and Bristol. Okay, great. The, the uh, intermediate package for Penske has been really good this year. When you look at their speed, especially at the 550 packages, and they're going to Las Vegas. Logano's always a threat at the speedways, like a Talladega. So I just look at the way this shapes up, and I go, yeah, you know what? Joey doesn't have to be the best. You just can't be the worst. And so many teams made so many mistakes. RJ, I felt like that was a through line of the entire night. Yeah, that was that was the theme. And that's really how I feel like Joey Logano made the Final Four last year. I mean, he was quiet the entire year after he you know, got the one win at Phoenix before the pandemic break came back, really was one of the quietest teams all year that was decent. And goes in the final round and wins Kansas, gets to the final four. And that's all they had to do, right? To get to the championship was just, you know, not wreck a ton of cars, not do anything dumb, but just be there and run a solid race. And it definitely paid off for them. 21 above the cut now uh, in the sixth seed. And you see the, the, the people that didn't have a clean race, Michael McDowell back 20, uh, William Byron, Kyle Bush, Alex Bowman still in striking range, but below the cut. Um, but one one thing I noticed was the speed out of the four car. Uh, Kevin Harvick going up there, leading laps, running up in the top five pretty much all night, top three, top two. Uh, Kevin Harvick, I felt like for the first time this year, said, wow, this car is actually good. And he said he said he liked the car at the beginning of the race, and, it, and you could see it. Went up there, did very well, and, and that was something that I was looking like. Maybe this playoffs beginning is like a – flip of the switch for these guys like they gotta flip it somewhere you gotta think rodney childers and kevin harvick uh, i'm always gonna trust them any race i mean you you know they're they haven't had the best year but i feel like they can still they can still be a factor in any of these races and this round uh was very good for them last year winning two of the three and i think they really look at those and you know look at it as an opportunity to capitalize on it denny hamlin's already got his win now as we noted earlier Right. And and you look at Stuart Haas. There's a history at Stuart Haas of getting hot in the playoffs. A la Tony Stewart uh, back in the day winning his championship, like kind of going head to head against Carl Edwards, who was far and away the favorite there. Tony said that they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. And I feel like Harvick probably feels the same way with the overall uh, kind of tone of their team. You look at Harvick as the elder statesman guy uh, in, in our sport and, and just how amazing he's been for so long. Uh, yeah. Could they be doing it right now? They're plus 20 on the cut line. It's a pretty good chunk right now. We are still talking about the best cars in the cup series, the best drivers in the cup series. So every single person in this 16 car field has a chance to go get big stage points, really flip things around here in two, in two races. But the, people that I look at right around the cut line right now. Chase Elliott is only four points up on the cut line. That is 
crazy to me because you would not ever think about Chase Elliott in danger. And that's all it takes. One mistake, three wide on the top. He absolutely has the right of way. One car comes up just a little too far. I don't think he might do anything really wrong here. It's just he gets the worst end of it. The tire catches him, or the fender catches his tire, and all of a sudden you're done. And now all you've done all year, it's four points to you're out. Because right now the cut, Tyler Reddick and Alex Bowman are tied right there for the last spot. Then it's two points back to Kyle Busch behind that. William Byron, Michael McDowell are out as of now. Byron is nine points back. Michael McDowell is 20 points back. And you got to look at Michael McDowell and, and say, really, the way that he was going to make it through this is he would probably have to get some really solid finishes. Yeah. And he would probably need some other guys to make mistakes. And it turns out he was really the first one to make a big mistake. I just don't know that that team has the speed to recover. Like, could they go get a top 10 at Bristol? Absolutely. Could they go get a top 10 at Richmond? Sure. I don't know that that's going to be enough now with the deficit they put themselves in to really dig themselves back out of it. I'm just not sure if that's going to be enough. Yeah. And these upcoming tracks, I'm a little worried about Chase Elliott and the nine team because Kyle Busch, two points below the cut, and obviously anything can happen. But I think Richmond and Bristol are two great tracks for Kyle Busch. Absolutely. Uh, Won there multiple times. Exactly. And you could say he's probably the king of Bristol as of right now. So I, I feel like he looks at this and I still pick him to advance out of it. Uh, Alex Bowman has had speed. Eric Almarola is only three points to the good now. And with their inconsistency, you got to say he's probably a big threat. Uh, to, to maybe fall out of this. Christopher Bell at times looked pretty good this weekend and, it, and at times looked pretty ordinary. And the one that shocked me out of all this and a guy that I felt like would really put something together at Darlington is Tyler Reddick. And he literally cues up the radio in the middle of the race and says, I don't even know what to tell you. I, I'm just lost out here right now. And, and that was mind-blowing to me because that is a track that Tyler Reddick literally raced on the day before. Yeah. And I saw him. It's not like Tyler Reddick's bad at Darlington. Like that guy can wheel it. And it's a track that really fits his driving style, old tires, running close to the wall, being smart around the racetrack. And they really, really struggled early speed. And then the second half of the race, it almost looked like something had to have been going wrong with the car, RJ, because they look lost. Yeah. And this is what I love about these type of races to kind of wrap it back up to just the overall show we had at Darlington. Uh, I'd just races where obviously it's long 500 mile race. Uh, we know what the, what this package that we're running can do, but cars change throughout the night, throughout the first runs throughout the entire race. I feel like we saw this at Nashville, which I thought was a very good race. The way we had some green flag stretches to the end and during the race and, you know, strategy being involved in it. We had, you know, green flag stops during Darlington, how tough they are, especially, I mean, everything about Darlington is tough. And one guy that I'll shout out as I make my, you know, race win picks before the season starts and I go through every race and I circled this uh, second Darlington race. And I said, you know what? Ross Chastain is going to win this race. I was like, this has got to be his race. And I saw him up there running out there, running down Kyle Larson. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did I, did I get this right? 
finished third, super strong run for Ross Chastain. And we know that Chip Ganassi is not coming back next year, but he's going to have a new opportunity for another Chevy team, Trackhouse Racing, who we know is on the upside. And I feel like that was just, while it wasn't the win, I'm sure that he was hoping a third place run is so good for, for a guy like Ross and for his future, really. Yeah, and they mentioned this on the broadcast. Ross has really elevated his stock here in the back half of this year. Yeah. So if I asked you right now, out of these four drivers, who is having the better year? Who do you think is ahead on points? I'm going to name five drivers. You tell me who you think is the highest. In no particular order here, Ricky Stenhouse, Ross Chastain, Matt Benedetto, Bubba Wallace, and Chris Buescher. Who would you think is the highest out of that bunch in the points? Yeah. Because um, this is basically the next tier of people that miss the playoffs, right? So who do you think is the highest out of that bunch? You would originally think Ross Chastain, I feel like, would be the highest with the runs that they've had. Ricky Stenhouse start off the year. They've been incredibly consistent. That 47 team, just not consistent enough to make it in the playoffs. But the recent stretch by Ross, you know, because they started off so bad. You know, they started off rough. That 42 team, the, the the crew they had on it, obviously Ross was just getting situated. A lot of 550 tracks that they just didn't really hit on. And now they are hitting it. The road courses, the 750 tracks, Nashville, you know, running second place. Now Darlington, third place. The road courses they did incredible on. Uh, I feel like really, boom, clicking, you know, just just a little too. Like same with the 21 team as well. Yeah, and, and Matt Benedetto would actually be the highest of that group yeah. with 583 points. Now, Austin Dillon is in another stratosphere right in front of them, yeah. 713. So you're talking about 130 points ahead of that next little group. But really, that group of five that I just named, it's 50 points between all five of them. So they're kind of in that little lump together. And I think Chris Busher is a really interesting guy here and because people naturally were like, Busher? Really? That's 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 who you're keeping at, at Roush? Like, I think people wanted Kozlowski to pick somebody else besides Busher. I saw a lot of that, like, oh, Busher might be out. And they pretty much immediately announced that Busher was going to keep his seat yeah. when that happened. Now, Busher has been kind of handpicked by Jack Roush now for a while. He has kind of been the Roush guy. And, and Roush even said in the press conference when he came back over there, I made a mistake even letting this guy ever walk out the door for us. Like, this is our guy, right? Well, it's kind of proven that out. Like, if I if I ask you who's the best organization out of uh, 2311, JTG, Ganassi, the Wood Brothers, or Roush, you probably wouldn't pick Roush first out of that bunch. So he's second in that bunch. He's only 12 points behind Matt Benedetto. And he's 100 points ahead of his teammate. So this is where you start looking at this. And you go, you know, Chris Bush is probably, it's probably pretty good. He's <laughs> only an Xfinity Series champion. He's pretty solid. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's probably pretty good. And we just <laughs> never, ever talk about him. Yeah. Uh, and he's probably my favorite guy to look at in the standings now because he is 100 points ahead of Chase Briscoe in a Stuart Haas car. Now, I think that. That really says more about the Stuart Haas organization than does Chase Briscoe right now, right? Chase's first year in the Cup Series, Chris, is, Chris has now been there for six years, I think six years uh, at the Cup level. So 
there's some other things going on there. But if you ask a lot of people to pick, who do you think is going to be higher in the standings at the beginning of the year? Do you think it's going to be Chase Briscoe or Chris Busher? I think a lot of people would have probably gone Briscoe there, and, and they would have been eating crow right now. So really impressed by them. But let's get back to the playoff picture. You know, the shape of these next two races, short tracks, Richmond, the place where tire conservation really matters, 750 package uh, at these tracks, and high potential for calamity. When you go to these Bristol, are my three favorite races. Race. Yeah. My favorite round. What, probably the best uh, cutoff race that, that I think we have. Uh, when you look at that next round, I think we go to Talladega as a cutoff race. Uh, the round of 12 is just nuts. It's it's Vegas. Then you it's go to the Talladega, the then the Roval. The Roval is a cutoff race, right? So that, that is just the calamity round. <laughs> it doesn't. Talladega. It's just random stuff happens that round. Yeah, but, but Bristol as a cutoff race is tremendous because it's yeah. the same sort of potential like we look at with the restrictor play race and go, you might not have anything to do with this and you could get wrecked. The leaders get wrecked by lap traffic at Bristol. And, and that's not me dissing lap traffic. I'm, I'm probably one of the lap guys. It's just one of those things where there's no safe place. You're going around there so fast. You can be a corner behind something and still get caught up in it. So how fascinating that is. And boy, you don't want to be sitting there with your playoff hopes on the line going to Bristol, which is a place where you don't feel like you completely control your own destiny. I think a lot of these guys are looking at Richmond as the place to really get it done here. Uh, a guy like Truex, who's been so good there. Uh, Hamlin, who's been so good there. I really look at, overall, Joe Gibbs Racing as the play. I mean, Christopher Bell won there in an Xfinity car. Joe Gibbs Racing has really got to kind of make a big step there at Richmond. I look for them to have some success. Yeah, this is, this is my favorite round. I mean, we got three, you know, Tire tire wear, strategic uh, night races, you know, all at Darlington, Richmond, Bristol. Uh, I felt like last year's old Bristol cutoff tracks. was great. Yeah, exactly. Old school tracks. I love this this pair right. Then then we move on to the next round, and that's just uh, crazy. I don't even Vegas. I've always thought that round is just the round of twelve. It's just like I don't even know. It, I can't even predict who like advance out of, out of that besides the guys that have like a billion playoff points. I mean, you go to Vegas, you're going to have to hit it at Vegas because if not, then you have to go to Talladega and Charlotte Roval to try and guarantee yourself a good finish, which obviously is not easy to do because right. we know what's what happens at both of those tracks. So I, I really love this round for, for the racing and I'm really excited about this weekend at Richmond and definitely excited for the night race coming up at Bristol. It's going to be really interesting to see this cut line is close for the cup series and we know that bristol is going to be the final chance for the xfinity series guys to get themselves in the playoffs riley herbst michael annette uh could ryan sieg sneak himself a win could brett moffitt miraculously find his way uh into the top 20 in points and get something could the could the 44 team pull off that ultimate miracle and <laughs> hey at bristol too at bristol yeah uh, a place you like that, bristol that don't you we've circled on the calendar uh forever a and adjusters yeah. our biggest sponsor uh kind of based out of that area so yeah, that's one we we are really looking forward to. And Richmond this weekend, running the Alpha Prime colors uh, for the first time on the race car and, and kind of doing kind of a little bit of a look ahead uh, yeah. for some of the schemes we're going to be running next year. This is going to help us get some footage of the car on track and be able to do some cool promo stuff on the offseason. So, uh, yeah, I love Richmond. I love these type of racetracks, uh, Darlington, Richmond, Bristol. 
uh, going to these places where uh, I feel like the driver makes a little bit more of a, of a difference uh, is really cool and a lot of fun for me. And, and speaking of tracks and speaking of the old school tracks and speaking of, of kind of this corner of the country here, obviously I stirred everybody up on Twitter last night. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Uh, I put out a tweet and I want to make sure that I pulled the tweet up. So I, I read it exactly yeah. perfectly. So we don't get any listeners uh, thinking about uh, me trying to paraphrase this. I'm going to just read it verbatim. What I said was, 1992 Winston Cup Series versus the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series. In 1992, only five races from the 1992 Cup Series schedule were over an eight-hour drive from Charlotte. And that included two trips to Michigan and a trip to Watkins Glen. So if you really want to look at that, and those are only nine-hour drives, all right? So really, the entire schedule except for two races, Sonoma and Phoenix, we're within nine hours of Charlotte. In 2021, there are 14 10 plus hour drives away from Charlotte and 11 separate trips of over 14 hours. We basically have four West Coast trips. Now, I followed this up by saying we have a base and it's not LA. Now, obviously, I'm taking a shot at the LA Coliseum thing there. Without a doubt, I was taking a shot at it. I understand it's an exhibition. I get it. And I understand that we're going to have to do some unique things to try to grow the fan base in different ways. I'm fine with it. It's fine. What I'm talking about is from a team perspective. Forget markets and growing the sport, all this for a second. Let me just look at this from a guy that's running a team. To go to L.A. and back for a team, that is a 72-hour drive round trip for a hauler to put that in perspective we could run and i looked at this last night we could run both charlotte races both bristol races both martinsville races both richmond races both daytona races and both talladega races and it would be less driving than that one trip back and forth to la now think about that from a team perspective and when you look at go man the teams look like they were really healthy Back in the day, well, think about that. How many of the races were pretty close? Multiple tracks at the same time, right? So you kind of had your car and you ran the same setup. Think about what we're trying to do now with the cars. We want them to run the LA Coliseum quarter mile, but also a street circuit, but also a speedway, but also a mile and a half, but also a dirt track, but also in the rain. It's like, what are we asking the cars to do? Where are we asking the teams to go that was my biggest gripe about this. I think a lot of people immediately snipped at me going, oh, Tommy Joe doesn't want to grow the sport. He wants to retract the sport back to the dirty South. And it's like, okay, let's settle down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the base of our sport definitely resides in the Southeast. And that is why the schedule was predominantly there. It made it easier on the teams to get back and forth. And most of your fan base kind of laid there. Now you went to some other places, which we do. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to some of these places. And in fact, here's the laughable part. We already go to LA. <laughs> we already go there. And I literally had people in my mentions on Twitter saying, well, uh, the traffic is really bad getting up to Fontana. I was like, okay, so let me get this straight. <laughs> We're going to bring 80 NASCAR teams 
and all the infrastructure and all the people for the entire sport, 72 hours round trip, literally one of the most expensive drives that we have all year. The other, only other one that's worse is Sonoma, right? So we're going to do that for a one-off race the week before the Daytona 500 for no points. And the main thing is to be like, well, it's in a city that has a lot of people. So therefore it'll be a draw. Like what? I can tell you how many times promoters have made that mistake in Los Angeles where it's been like, oh, well, we're going to have the XFL here. I mean, it's football. It's Los Angeles. There's, there's millions of people in Los Angeles. We'll sell 20,000 tickets and they're out of business immediately. So to me, it just felt very gimmicky. And as a traditionalist, I will voice my concern looking at all the other short tracks in the country that would just be begging for this type of opportunity. When you look at the success that uh, Tony Stewart's lead with SRX, and they've had going to some of these places that are not LA. They're not glitz and glam. They are not big time marketing places. We're talking about like going to Eldora in the middle of a field in Ohio. We're talking about going to Slinger. You know, we're talking about going to, uh, oh my gosh, the track in Virginia, which is one that they hosted the short track on. I just forgot about it. It's where the modifieds go. Um, I, I forgot. I of it. Lang Langley. Was it Langley, maybe? Langley. I think it was Langley. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm butchering this. Point being, they went to smaller tracks because here's something that I relate to the SEC, right? Like, what, what's our most famous tracks? It's like Talladega, Darlington. Bristol, like even Atlanta, I will go and tell you, they're out in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, middle of nowhere. Just it's in the middle of nowhere because that's fine. Like around there, that's the thing you go do. You go to the NASCAR race. It's a tradition. Twice a year, you go. <laughs> Darlington, they go every year. It's maybe not as many people. It's not a metro area, but they support the racetrack, right? All right. I look at the SEC. Look at the cities in the Southeastern Conference, because I feel like that's probably a good comp to us when it comes to tradition and loyalty of the fans. I feel like that's kind of a little similar. All right. Oxford, Mississippi. That's not a huge metro area. Athens, Georgia. Uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Fayetteville, Arkansas. Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, or sorry, Gainesville, Florida. Um, by the way, all the Florida Gator fans just screamed through their, <laughs> through their radios because I just mentioned Florida State. But I started naming all of these places, Columbia, South Carolina. These are not giant metro areas. They're not. They're smaller, kind of mid-level, mid-city kind of towns, and they just really support the thing that they've got to support. I feel like that's probably a better brand for uh, for NASCAR. Like the race in Iowa, out in the middle of nowhere, it's an hour plus from Des Moines. You know what, location-wise, that's probably not great. I think if we could have probably got that thing closer to Des Moines, that's the type of city that I almost see supporting NASCAR better, right? But I understand how we got to do it. So I'm just looking at it from a philosophical standpoint, because when I hear the leadership talking about going to Colorado and running a street circuit in Denver and running a race in the Northwest. 
I immediately just go, oh my God. So what are we, so for the teams now, we're just going to add more races. <laughs> I would hope that we're adding more money to the total. And if so, you know what, we're going to go wherever we're going to go. But to like pull races away from markets that are better for the teams, quite frankly, that sponsors want more to go to markets that we've never been to. Maybe some sponsors want this, but I can tell you that from a lot of the people that I've talked to, my sponsors want to go to Darlington twice. <laughs> they want to go to Daytona twice. They want to go to Talladega. They want to go to Bristol twice. That That's where we're, the home base for us is. We need to do these West Coast trips. We need to go to the Midwest, up to Wisconsin, and uh, and do these races. We need to go to the Northeast. I'm not against any of that. What I'm saying is just evaluating it simply as where are the most fans, where is the most tradition, where are these places like we just talked about in this first round, these tracks that, that are kind of the lifeblood of NASCAR. And in that 1992 schedule, we've already closed down two of them. We closed down Rockingham. We closed down North Wilkesboro. Things that I see the fan base routinely asking for it back. And people immediately go, look, if we're going to get people to watch uh, NASCAR, we have to go to these different markets. Let me just go ahead and tell you what the highest markets were last year on television for NBC. I'm just going to list them off. This is who was watching on NBC market-based the highest markets every time over the course of the year. These were your top 10 NASCAR watching markets. Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Knoxville, Tennessee. Greensboro, High Point, North Carolina. Indianapolis. Richmond, Virginia. Myers, Naples, Florida. Nashville. Birmingham, Alabama. And Dayton, Ohio. So Dayton, Ohio just kind of snuck in there. But I think about that with the proximity to Mid-Ohio and also Eldora. And they do a lot of racing up there, too. So I look at that and I go, okay. So you basically got the Southeast and uh, the Midwest a little there with, with Ohio. So that's kind of your base. And so, yeah, two-thirds of your schedule probably should be down around in there. And when we start venturing out a lot further than that, and we start really thinking out of the box, I'm for out of the box thinking. I just want to make sure that this isn't an additional hard thing for the teams to have to do. And what's the overall goal? If, if the goal is build the brand of NASCAR, I really don't see where the LA Coliseum thing does it. I just don't. I feel like for our brand, if anything, we probably need to reconnect with an audience that's become a little more disillusioned over the years rather than go chasing new fans in Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, I think that's the big part of it for sure. Like you mentioned, SRX filling up, you know, short tracks around that area, around the Midwest, sold, selling out. I mean, they were great events. And, you know, it's just, are we going to, you know, make these events for our race fans? Or are we going to keep venturing out and trying, you know, how, like, are we really going to, you know, get a bunch of fans in the LA Coliseum for this race? How are we going to do it? What's the event going to look like? Are we what just. What is a success? What, yeah. what would be considered a success for that race? Exactly. Would it be an attendance number? Would it just be just doing it? I thought NASCAR man on Twitter, which by the way, if you guys aren't following him, excellent follow on Twitter, a lot of history, a lot of really great stuff. One of the things that he posted was a link to a race that was held at the LA Coliseum 
in the parking lot. They did a street race there and they brought in some of the NASCAR stars to run in it for a few years in a row there. Um, and basically they rolled it into kind of the NASCAR West tour out there, but, but they got, I guess what we would look at is now the Arca West series. They did a race there you know, on a street circuit, but they had cup drivers, uh, Bush series drivers come in, take part in it as well. So, so you had some name recognition. It wasn't just a bunch of West guys. Um, I think Kurt Busch actually ran in that race. I believe so. I think he was in one of them. Uh, but they said it was a huge flop. They got people out there the first year, and they had TV Baywatch shot an episode there during the first first event. And they were, oh, man, this is going to be bigger than the L.A. Marathon. They had the guy that was running the L.A. Marathon marketing the thing and, like, promoting it. Oh, this is going to be this huge thing. The second year, they changed the circuit because the people in L.A., cared more about getting to the museums around there than they did about the track. Like they were like, well, this is really annoying. So people were complaining about it the second year and third year, nobody showed up and it went away. So what do we consider successful? And I guess I feel like the, I'm the really old guy here, RJ, especially on this podcast. Yeah. But when I look at this stuff, I'm like, am I old enough? And by the way, this was in 1997 to 1999 which everybody would agree was the peak of NASCAR. Like probably the highest we've ever been was 1996 to the year 1999. That was probably as high as we ever got as a sport. And it still didn't work. And so I go, all right, 25 years later, we're going to act like this is an original idea and that it's going to work this time. And it's like, that's the part of it that I don't understand uh, when you do. So, and I'm, I get times change. I understand that part of this, like Nashville super speedway didn't work. Right. The first time we went there, it quote unquote, didn't work. Now I would say it didn't work because they didn't take a cup race there. That was the main reason, right? Because the cup race is kind of what filters everything down. They brought a cup race there this time, hugely successful event. The market works. We just talked about it. People in Nashville are watching NASCAR it made sense. It's just that Dover Motorsports felt like they had a pretty good thing going at the time with Dover Speedway. They were selling, not selling it out, but they were selling a lot of tickets for two races. And they would basically have to give up one of those races to kind of risk it on the Nashville market. And they didn't want to do that. They just decided, eh, we're not giving up a cup race at Dover. We're making too much money up here. Well, the reason they did it this time is because Dover's not selling out. And so they said, eh, well, I guess we're willing to risk it now. And then it wound up being a huge success, right? So there's a lot of things that go into this, guys. I don't have my head in the sand when it comes to a lot of these issues. But when I look at a second LA race at a manufactured track inside of a football stadium that the that everybody in NASCAR is going to have to go 72 hours round trip the week before the biggest race of the year for us, like, what about speed weeks? What, what happened to speed weeks? And, and so that's the, the questions that I bring up. Just trying to think about all this stuff out loud. And yeah, maybe coming across a little, little sideways on Twitter at times. But I definitely want to be the other side of the argument for the traditionalist. Because it feels like that is almost immediately repelled in a lot of the media that I see on NASCAR media and uh, NASCAR radio and NASCAR social channels. There's a lot of kind of toe in the line here for the new idea. Like, 
well, it's not really that big of a deal. I don't get why you can't. I mean, it's just one race, whatever. It's like, yeah, but explain it. (laughs) I feel like I'm screaming into the void here. It's like when every comment on something is negative, but yet everybody that talks about it on camera is somehow positive. You feel like you're a crazy person. I mean, that's literally like the plot of a horror movie. So that's how I feel about some of this stuff. And and talking to my spotter, uh, David Pepper, who's been around for a long time, Pepper made the joke that I am now using where he said, yeah, like I'm old enough. I've been around to see us do some of these things multiple times. And we went international. We went to Canada and we went to Mexico and it didn't really work. And the teams really complained about it a lot. And then you hear leadership be like, got to go international. And it's like, well, we, we did that like 15 years ago and it didn't work. So it just feels like we're running into some of the same kind of stuff here, RJ. And that's why when I bring it up and I look back at a time and people made fun of me in, in my mentions and they were like, oh, so you don't care about California? Uh, ever heard of Jeff Gordon? Ever heard of Jimmy Johnson? I'm like, I saw, well, I saw that one. I'm like, well, I guess they were watching it on TV because we weren't going there. And they still fell in love with it and they still became drivers. So this idea that like nobody in California <laughs> can see it unless we bring a race to the Coliseum in Los Angeles. What are we talking about? Are you serious? You can watch Italian league soccer on your phone right now. You can watch anything. I can watch a dirt race at Millbridge on my phone. So the idea that you wouldn't be able to see the NASCAR Cup Series racing in Atlanta, and you go, oh, I feel so disconnected from the sport here in L.A. It's like, well, you you can watch it at any point. So this kind of stuff to me is crazy. We have to look at what's best for some of the stakeholders in the sport. We talk about that a lot. The teams, uh, the, the core fan base, and really invigorating them and emboldening them and making the teams profitable, making them successful, and then everything else kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, uh, I'd be interested to see what the market is like for that area for watching the sport. Like, are people going to be attending this race to go see a uh, uh, a nice race, short track race because they love short track racing? Or are they going to see a show in the Coliseum? Right. Yeah. A demo and, and are we in the racing business or are we in, in show business? And that, that's really interesting because if you asked the average NHL player, they would say they're in the hockey business. And if you asked the average football player, they would say they're in the football business. And if you asked the average NASCAR driver, I think you would probably get a 50-50 response with some of the things that we've done here, especially in recent years. And, and that is a weird line to be going down. And this is just kind of the latest instance in something like that. Yeah. And are we going to be like, because the clash is short, obviously, are we going to be doing this whole thing to run like a hundred lap race inside of the Coliseum or like. With, and I'm guessing it's going to be with the old style cars, because surely yeah. they're not going to put a next gen car in there and just tear it up it's in a quarter mile racetrack. Um, <laughs> but again, I, I look at this and go, man, what an opportunity this was to have another speed weeks where we did the multi-class thing, like we talked about down there at the clash and, and invite more series. And so I, I guess I just look at this from a different perspective, RJ. And the thing is, I saw one comment and, and I'll, and I'll leave the rant with this. One of the comments was like, you know, well, you can have both and you can have all these 
things going on and all this. And I just said, look, clearly they are listening to people like you more than they are listening to people like me, which kind of sounds crazy, but that is the truth. Uh, and that's where we sit right now. They are wanting to try new things. They are wanting to go to new markets. They are wanting to try new forms of entertainment with the cars and types of races and all this. And I, I agree that I'm probably the stick in the mud pushing back against a lot of change here. Like I get where I sit on the fence. I can do it respectfully. I can respectfully disagree and be proven wrong. Like I can tell you, I was proven wrong about the Bristol dirt thing. I felt like that was a pretty cool event. Do I think it was a necessary event? No, but do I think it was cool? Yeah, it was cool. And, and should we do it again? Yeah, probably so. Much like with the Roval compared to the Coke 600, you could have Bristol Turt, you can have Bristol Asphalt. That's fine, right? I understand. I am for the tracks making money. I am also for the teams making money. And so if all of a sudden the clash goes from the thing that you were going to do in Daytona anyway, and you were already going to be down there, to now you got to have a whole different car and go 72 hours round trip to a bull ring and completely destroy it a week before the biggest race we got and then turn right back around and go to Miami and then go back to the West coast. That sucks. Like that just sucks logistically. That's terrible. So I would hope that there's just more incentive there on the team side, because clearly this doesn't affect me, RJ. I'm not going to be one of the top 20 guys in the cup series, getting an invite to the clash, right? It's not going to affect Martin's Motorsports. It's not going to affect Alpha Prime Racing. It's going to affect major teams that are in the playoffs with big budgets. It still loses them money, though. So I guess I'm just always looking at this pro team as somebody that is on one. Well, maybe the offset to this is that sponsorship value is supposed to go up this year because we moved the numbers. So maybe that's just the 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 plus minus there. We're gonna we're gonna spend some money to go to the Coliseum, but we moved the number on the race car. So sponsors of value, they're gonna be knocking on the door to sponsor that race. Okay, car. I got one more objection here. <laughs> one more. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> All right. I saw somebody say, look, this is a win for the networks because the networks are Fox, their headquarters are in LA. And the Super Bowl is in LA. And we can do this event afterwards and, and just kind of like piggyback on that. And that's great because they're going to be able to market it during the Super Bowl or whatever. You know what they're marketing during the Super Bowl week? The Super Bowl. <laughs> they're marketing the Super Bowl, guys. Or they're going to market the Daytona 500 because that's the biggest thing that they've got, right? In yeah. fact, Fox even came out and said that this year when the Daytona 500 got rained out, that sucks because it actually brings down their overall ratings over their period, right? And they kind of count on the Daytona 500 being that the highest number to kind of drag everything up a little bit. That's just weird to me. And to also think of the town of LA, the week after having the Super Bowl in it, would be like, you know what I also want to do? Go to this other show in a football state. Like, I, I don't know. I see it just as equally being nobody caring. <laughs> Was this supposed right to be after, the week before? Right after the biggest sporting event in the world. Right, maybe okay. Look, I think it was probably. I think it was before the Super Bowl. I think what it at least what the athletic thing said. 
Okay. Well, Maybe. that's even Either way. weirder. Yeah. So it's like you build up the Super Bowl and you're doing this right before as an exhibition. I don't know. Super Bowl is next week. Well, there's yeah, that's also a little NASCAR race here. Yeah, but also this NASCAR race. Uh, yeah. So I, I equally see it on both sides of that coin. Like, I think it it's not just, oh, it'll be great. We'll partner it up with that. I'm like, well, there's also the sense that nobody cares because the Super Bowl is the week after. So it's to me, there's two sides of the coin on that one. Uh, look, I've eaten crow on this show before. I will gladly eat crow again. If there is this just untapped mound of potential in Los Angeles that I'm not seeing, you know what? I'll be the first one to tell you I was wrong. And we ought to go to LA twice. And that's fine. What I would say is make the schedule make sense to where we can run maybe like a couple of races and then come back versus one and then back and then three and then back again and then one in Sonoma and then back and then one in Vegas and then back and then one in Phoenix. And back. What are we doing? <laughs> like that sucks for television too. They've got to take all that equipment and everything around. It sucks for NASCAR. They've got to move the equipment around. Like, so it just infrastructure wise sucks logistically for everybody. I mean, you look at the formula one schedule, people were talking about Zanvoort. They literally canceled the race at spa rather than have a rain delay one day and they were basically going four and a half hours up the road to their next race <laughs> in another country and they canceled the race and we're talking about 36 hour one-way drives back and forth across the country like seven times that's not good for the teams you want to make a west coast swing you want to go to these different markets you want to go to the northwest great that needs to come the week after Sonoma because that's already the longest drive we got and then just roll the trailer up there. So these are the types of considerations that have to be made for the teams, for the sport as a whole, for everybody. And I think we've, we've kind of leaned really far one way for television with the start times and the way the schedule's mapped out. Some of these have been great. Like you and I talked about a couple weeks ago, the Daytona thing as the cutoff. Yeah. Ah, perfect. That was a TV idea. Great idea. So there are positives, but I think some of this stuff with like the way that Phoenix is now the last race, but we go to Texas before that and then back to Martinsville because we wanted Martinsville to be a cutoff race. Well, that used to be basically like Texas, Phoenix, and then back and then down to Homestead. And that kind of made sense. Like you do Texas and Phoenix on kind of like one trip going out there and then back. Well, now it's Texas, Kansas, back to Martinsville, back to Phoenix. And that's in like a three-week stretch. And like that sucks. Like it just sucks. And I feel like some of this stuff could be structured a little bit better. You want to go to different markets. Give me a plan on how we're going to do this schedule, maybe with multiple races in a week bundle it up. Let's do it that way. You want to talk about practice and qualifying. We go to a race like that where we're, we're worried about bringing a backup car, right? Okay. Maybe these West coast races, we don't do practice because they're so far. And what we're going to do is just show up and run that way. It's better for the transporters, right? It's better for the, the teams where now they can take two cars and one trailer. We go run two races out there and then we come back. We can kind of structure that differently. I, I just think there's some things there that are not really being flushed out, or if they are, it's just not being made apparent. And it's just, I, I laugh out loud. Like when you made this thing on, on uh, 
on, on uh, the Instagram on NASCAR Report Instagram, and I saw it, and I commented, "LOL," because it literally sounded like a joke. The idea about taking a NASCAR race to the LA Coliseum, yeah. it sounded like like some sort of an April Fool's joke. And the fact that this is being seriously discussed at the top levels of the sport, when you literally have teams that can't afford the tire bill uh, in two of the three top national series, to me, that is bananas. And it's like, are we really addressing the things that need to be addressed? Nope. But the good thing is that we're still in my favorite round of the playoffs. We're still on the East Coast. We still got Richmond and Bristol coming up. And uh, I'm excited. To prove my point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm excited. We're on these, uh, this little East Coast trip. And, you know, if if we were to schedule, I feel like now in today's age, if someone were to go and say, oh, we're going to go do, you know, we're going to build a racetrack in, in Richmond, Virginia. Like, would people really think that would be a big hit? No, and then but then you look at the television numbers and you go, you know what? Probably a pretty good idea here because yeah. we got a, a really strong fan base here. Um, yeah. When we did Google search history, by the way, when I track this, and and I know I've said I'm going to stop this at any time here. All right, but just bear with me because somebody posted this in my mentions. They did the Google search history of every state when it comes to NASCAR and kind of like relevance, right? It's all the same ones that you would think kind of that really West Virginia was the top one, right? So big shout, West Virginia. What's up, West Virginia? You know what the third one from the bottom was? California. <laughs> it was third from the bottom. Alaska searched NASCAR more than California did. Right? Alaska. <laughs> yeah, let's go take a race there. <laughs> hey, they got that Juice Motorboard Park over there. Yeah. What's up there over there? You know, it's a, this is the kind of stuff that I just laugh out loud and I'm just like, is anybody in the building, RJ, bringing up these points? Or are we looking at this from a face value and maybe I'm reading too much into it and they're putting out feelers and it's like they kind of let something slip to, you know, Jordan Bianchi over there at The Athletic who initially broke the story and they're just, hey, we're in discussions about this. This is something we're thinking about, maybe doing an exhibition and they're kind of, they're kind of reading the temperature. My temperature would be very cold. It would it would be basically reaching your hand into a cooler full of Bud Light and leaving it in there for five minutes. That's my level of temperature on it. But maybe some other people are really hot on it. And if that's the case, they're going to do what they think is overall best for the sport. And that's what we're really talking about, just to wrap this up completely for real this time. They're doing what they think is best for their overall growth of the sport. And I'm advocating for what I think is best. It's okay that we have different opinions. That doesn't mean that they're stupid. That doesn't mean that I'm old, even though I am. That doesn't mean those two things. We can both have an opinion on this. I think that's a good thing. Very often in the NASCAR Twitter world, that leads to, this is an idiot. You're an idiot. This is a terrible take. This is stupid. This is what I... Well, you have things that obviously shaped your own version of the sport. Just like that person that fell in love with NASCAR that is living in LA, they have their different versions of what led them into the sport. For me, I went up to the fence at Atlanta and I went to Bristol and I loved Darlington and I wanted to race at Daytona and Talladega was special. And so it's all the places that I love too, right? So that of course shapes my opinion on all of this. Well, I think we all just want what's best. And I think what's going to be a lot of fun for everybody here is like what you talk about is the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs over the next few races. I can't remember a field that I felt like was more competitive one through, you know, 14, basically, of the cars on the grid right now 
of who you thought could advance deep into the playoffs. It's really going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And Eric Amarola is a guy who I really think has a shot to potentially put himself in the next round with these next two races. So there's so many guys like Chase Elliott, defending champion is on the verge of potentially, if he has another bad race, he can be eliminated. So it's going to be so crazy. We have Richmond coming up. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is running in your race for those I who it. I almost forgot about that, um, but he'll be running in your race, uh, Xfinity series at Richmond. Barry's running in the race. I mean, we've got, yeah. we've got all the, all the stalwarts out of the junior motorsports stable. Oh, yeah. It's basically a preview of the, of the potential five car team next year you're basically looking at the yep. at the five car lineup right now potentially so it's going to be a lot of fun to see how things shake out i mean 44 team definitely looking to rebound uh, from darlington this weekend at richmond got to got to and, and, and richmond's a cool place for us it's a place where uh, a top 15 finished last year in the double header got me my first uh poll ever which i still count by the way everybody yep. oh you stat nerd that was poll. guess what it's a poll. It's on J-Ski. Look it up. It's there. Oh. <laughs> you can't take it away from me. Um, I passed Harrison Burton with two laps to go to get that poll as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so it mattered to me, um, but it's, it's cool. Uh, it's a track that I've always loved racing at. Uh, BJ brought me in in 20, I believe 2017. It was the first time I got to race there and uh, just have loved it ever since. Uh, one of the, one of the best short tracks uh, in the country. Uh, they've renovated the infield. We're going to have fans back. Uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend. Yep. I, I know a lot of people have their opinions on Twitter, but I personally like the Brist the Richmond night race, the Bristol night race, obviously for sure. But the Richmond night race, I always enjoy, yeah. especially in the playoff season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of memories of the old Pontiac excitement 400. Yeah. It's in Richmond. And uh, <laughs> we're going to be doing it again with a lot on the line. Like everybody remembers Richmond. And it, it, that was the race. That was the cutoff race yeah. going into the playoffs for a really long time. So a lot of drama there. I think equally as much drama here uh, going into this race this weekend for those guys out there in the Cup Series. Yep, lots of drama for sure. We got Richmond both days on both races on Saturday. With the Xfinity race being at two thirty, and then the Cup race obviously being the night race at seven thirty p.m. Both races on NBCSN. So Dale Junior is going to have to race and then suit up. Uh, for the broadcast, which Parker <laughs> Clickerman did uh, this week, finishing fifth in the track Bad race. job by him. Gosh, he's so Incredible good. job. Exactly. So we are not officially done here on the pod. Tommy Joe's going to head off, and we're going to talk to Carson Ware later in the podcast. So we will take a quick break right now. All right. We are back on the Drivers Meeting Podcast, back for a little second half here, obviously with the man, the man himself, our guest, Carson Ware, who went out Darlington this weekend for the first time. I, I texted you about it. I was like, how was that? You said it was a whole nother animal. So kind of kind of tell us, how was it going out there? No practice, no nothing for the first time. Well, honestly, man, I mean, it's it wasn't too much different as far as, I mean, I'm going to all these races um, this this year to, to these races with no practice, no qualifying. And, I mean, having no other laps other than turning, uh, turning laps on iRacing on the sim. Um, but obviously nothing beats actual in-car experience practice. And, and I mean, it was really difficult. Darlington is, is known for being a very difficult track. Um, and also um, switching over from the 17 to the 74 for a race um, kind of just threw, threw, threw me for a little loop there, um, kind of just getting readjusted, new environment, new team. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was definitely very difficult. Um, I struggled early on with, um, some issues that we had with the seat 
and um, my arms hitting some of the padding that was in there because um, it was actually Bailey Curry's seat. Um, so it was, it definitely started out interesting. Um, and I, I was like, dang, this is probably going to be a long day for us. Um, but it turned out to be pretty strong. I mean, we finished the race, car rolled into the trailer in one piece, which is always a good day. Um, and I mean, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot and I definitely know what I can take away from, from, uh, Saturday's race to, um, bring it in for next year. And whenever we go back there. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun next year and, you know, um, just keep moving forward with it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've had those, that's basically what you've been dealing with all year, just hopping in the car, no practice, no nothing. I mean, you ran Michigan and, and some other races as well. I mean, the overall year for you, I mean, how's it been just getting back in the race car, you know, as well after some time off? Um, it's always, it's always not good being away and out of a seat for a while. Um, but I think I've definitely, um, been pretty good at getting back, uh, comfortable and, uh, adjusted quickly. Um, obviously I'm trying to minimize the time in between races as far as the rest of the schedule goes this year in the Xfinity series. Um, but I mean, overall, I mean, I'm, I'm not disappointed. Um, I mean, a lot of these guys that I'm racing hard with and, and, and that I'm battling with each weekend, these guys have run full seasons. These guys have gone to all these tracks, if not once, twice or three times before. And I'm showing up with, with not even a fraction of the experience or laps that they have at these tracks. And also, too, just in an Xfinity car in general. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah. just like we've shown at Michigan, I mean, we're racing hard with guys like Landon Castle, Star, um, some of the JD Motorsports guys. I mean, we're we're running strong and hard for for the amount of experience and and uh, you know laps that I have at these tracks. So, I'm I'm definitely extremely confident going into next year and just continuing to go into these races for the rest of this year. Um, that I can run strong. I know that I'm capable of it, especially when I have the laps on track um, at some of these places. I'm very confident in my in my capability to race and run hard with these guys. Um, so, I mean, overall, I mean, honestly, dude, my family's happy. I'm happy. Um, and we're definitely moving in the right direction. And uh, I, I know that we'll have a lot of momentum uh, going into next year. Yeah, exactly. And like when you're hopping in the seat, it's different than when somebody like JJ Yaley, you know, hops in for an Xfinity race. They, I mean, been doing it for so long and you're just going out there. You're, I mean, everybody's still learning. You're still learning in the seat. Right. Yeah. So it's been great to see you out there. I know, you know, this year you've ran like Michigan, like you said, battling up with those guys. I mean, that's really the goal for you when you go out there to, to battle with guys like Castle, you know, the JD guys in the middle of the pack, because that's where you feel like, you know, you should be, if not higher. Right. Right. Yeah. Not so, sure. I, yeah, it's been great to see you guys out there. And I, I know. I want to uh, obviously give a little shout out. You do some other stuff off the racetrack. Obviously, you're just coming back from the studio, dropped your new song. Uh, I know I want to give you a quick shout out for that. Anything you got to say? Um, no, I really appreciate it. It's really cool to see um, uh, the race fans and, and some of my fans personally um, enjoy the music that I'm releasing and, and supporting that side of things. Um, I'm definitely trying my hardest and I, and I believe that it's very possible to um, have the music side and also the racing side come together in one picture for me um, and be able to tie that in with sponsorship, uh, with deals, promotion and just all things that can involve 
um, that into racing and so my career. And um, I'm, I'm really working on some things happen. I'm looking to and possibly having something worked out to where next year when we go to these races, um, that I can also have a chance to do shows in the day or even at um, while go racing and kind of bring in I can kind of say or some tour in general with the music, but also tie it in with racing and also the race fans and bring that and bring a uh, kind of something different to the table that not every uh, other driver can really say that they are capable of doing or that they can bring. Um, so I think it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how everything plays out regardless. At the end of the day, I love making music. I love what I do and that's, what's most important. Um, and uh, we'll just keep moving forward and see what we can do with it, dude. Yeah, like how cool would that be? I mean, for you to kind of combine, you know, what you're doing with music and racing on the racetrack to combine that. I mean, even if it was just for a race, I know I saw the concept you posted on your page with and you were tagging Travis Scott and all that stuff. Like how cool would that be to to combine the music and the racing? I mean, dude, it would be so cool. Like like it's just it's something that's not been done before. Like there's no there's no driver that's also in the music industry right now currently that's working on dropping a project that has songs ready that is really involved with the music industry and to have that coincide and go along with racing like that's that's super cool you know like to get to get somebody like travis scott with with the cacti brand or um anybody that's in the music industry that also has a business or a brand that they would like to promote or or like an album that could be released or whatever like that'd be super cool to be able to get them get them on a car and and on track and and to and to promote it and push something like that i think that'd be really cool i think that um i can kind of bring a different market to the table as far as um to the racing community and and racing in general just because obviously i don't look uh i have a different look than majority of the drivers currently in the Xfinity series and also just in racing in general. Um, so I think that I have a lot that I can bring to the table, um, kind of a little bit more edgy and um, just kind of going for something different that uh, typically not a lot of really any NASCAR drivers are going for, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and marketing, like marketing sponsorship. I mean, we talked about it before, how it's so important to, I mean, getting deals done in NASCAR to get, you know, the track time. You got to have the partners, you know, everything like that. I mean, how important has that been, you know, from what you have seen uh, in your time in the sport, especially the Xfinity series, like how important those partners are to kind of really just getting yourself in the seat? Oh, it's, ex it's extremely important. I mean, the partners, that I've worked with now, I mean, Jacob Companies and Broke Rose Boutique, Keen's Buildings, Rick Rare Racing as a whole and, that, and our whole facility. I mean, it's it's key. The, the Partnering up with somebody can be the huge difference of the the motor program that we have going into a race and, and pit crew and, and things like that and, and the technology that we can get behind uh, and, and put into these cars before these races and, and going in full throttle and, and being able to go out there and race race as hard as we can with all that we've got and, and give and give these guys a run for their money. So the partners are just as important as I am on track racing, you know, um, without our partners and, and getting deals together with these people. I mean, our, we're not able to go racing. So same thing with the fans. I mean, if it weren't for the fans, I, I personally think that the fans are just as important as I am. They're a part of our sport. They're a part of our culture and our scene. Um, so our partners play a huge, 
huge part in, in us getting to the racetrack every weekend and, and Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, like for you to be at the racetrack too, like on weekends, like I mean, when we were just down in Daytona, like you weren't racing, but you were there. You got to see everything obviously behind the scenes and just being at the racetrack and, and while seat time is so good. I mean, how is how important is it? I mean, it's cool uh, as well. Like, how important and cool is it like just to be down at the racetrack with all the guys and see what's going on, you know, in preparation for you to hop in the seat more? Oh yeah, it's, it's it's very important. I mean, even if you're not even if you're not necessarily racing that weekend, it's still really good to be there and show up. Make sure you're seeing, um, show everybody that you're dedicated to it, and show that the effort's there. Um, because I mean, a, a lot of other drivers do the same thing I do. I mean, you never know if somebody might fall out of the seat. Not not wishing that we want that. It's very physically demanding. Um, so you never know when you could be at the track one weekend hanging out or just trying to connect with people, get deals put together, and you might get called to hop in the seat because something very unfortunate might have happened or, or whatever, you know. So um, it's very important to, to be at the track and to be behind the scenes and to connect with drivers and, and have that relationship on and off the track with those guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's not bad to make friends with, uh, with the guys that you're racing hard with and battling, uh, battling with each weekend. So. Um, it's very important to be at the track and that's why I try to be at every race that I can, even though, um, I may not be racing. I still want to be there, be shown, um, and connect with the guys, sponsors, friends, family, and just, uh, be involved with the sport as much as I can. Yeah. So a thing that me and Tommy Joe like to ask a lot of our guests, like if, if you were to look, you know, three, four or five years in the future yourself, you know, as a driver, and we can even say, you know, a, a music artist as well, like where, what are, you, are your goals long-term, you know, in about three, four, five years, where would you want to be as far as, you know, in the sport and, and maybe in the music industry too? Well, I know for, for a fact in the sport within, within the next four years, um, I definitely want to go to say that, um, if it hasn't been done already, that I want to have uh, Rick Ware Racing's first win in the highest form of NASCAR, which is the Cup Series. Um, and I want to be able to say that we earned that. Um, it'd be cool to get it at a super speedway, someplace like Daytona or the 500 or Talladega. But I want us and I believe in our team that we'll be able to compete hard and, and to go for wins on these short tracks in the Cup Series. And I hope that um, I'm able to accomplish that for my dad and to build a show and, and kind of help him um, get some appreciation and for, for all the hard work that he's put in for this team and our family. Um, that'd be really cool to uh, be able to accomplish. And I mean, as far as the music stuff goes, um, you never you never know. I mean, a lot of things are really possible that could happen within the next four years. I mean, I could get partnered up with somebody to help me get a, to get a label deal or distribution deal. Um, but I mean, within the next four years in my, in my dream world, I would like to, to sign a deal with a record label and um, to have out several projects and to be doing shows alongside racing full time. So um, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of what I would hope for, you know? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the hard work that goes on at Rick Ware Racing, all the great people. I mean, I was so you know glad to be able to meet you know a lot of people from the team at Rick Ware at Daytona. Uh, I mean, to kind of kind of explain a little bit what people don't understand, like behind the scenes that goes on for for a smaller team like that to be able to do the things that you know Rick Ware and Rick Ware Racing have done you know over the past few years, really in all of motorsports, not just NASCAR. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think the biggest thing is um, we're we're very family oriented. Our our team, even though it may be spread out between three or four cars, we're we're all a family and we're all really tight knit. Um, and and we're always involved. You know, uh, there's there's some teams that may not necessarily have their owners at the track every single weekend or um, maybe at the shop every day, but. I know for us when we're, we're racing, my dad's at the shop almost every day unless he's not unless he's not feeling good or something something big comes up where he has a, a specific meeting. My dad always at the shop. He's always involved with the guys. You'll see him walking around the shop, um, making sure that he's involved. And, and I think the guys probably appreciate that a lot to see that it's um, not somebody just sitting from afar calling shots and just ordering and having other people do stuff. My dad's there hands-on and involved with all of our guys. Um, and obviously we don't, we don't necessarily have the funding that other teams and other uh, organizations may have, but I can promise you one thing is that we're, we're there to race just as hard and we are just as much racers as anybody else in any other team, regardless of the funding, the sponsorship dollars or whatever. Um, we're there to race just as hard as anybody else. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm, and I'm, I have a lot of faith that that's going to show, uh, these next few years, especially with the next gen car and, um, moving forward and in, in NASCAR. I mean, cause like, like you said, I mean, it's not just a NASCAR we're in, we're in all sorts of other forms of motorsports. And that's just because we love racing. My father loves racing. That's what he loves to do. I don't think there'll ever be a day where he's not involved with some sort of motorsports because that's his passion. That's my passion. Also my brothers. And that's just what we love to do. So um, we're going to keep working at it. We're going to keep pushing forward with Rick Ware Racing as a whole in our organization. And hopefully one day me and Cody will uh, be able to take it up to, to the highest level that we're able to push it to and, and to really uh, make our father proud and, and what he's built over the years. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's such a cool thing to what, what you guys have going on over there. We love Rick Ware Racing on this podcast. So obviously, we had to get you on here. And I know Cody, you know, has been doing, he's done sports cars, indie cars over recent time. I mean, just recently doing a few indie car races. I don't know, from your perspective, how has that been for him and, you know, and for your father to really jump on the indie car scene this year as well? Yeah, that's that's something that I think is really cool. And it's definitely um, definitely taking a step forward and, and having faith that we can compete in that series with the right situation behind us uh, moving forward. I know Cody loves road racing. That's one of his passions. He loves road racing and he's a really gifted road racer, too. So it's really neat and it's really exciting to see my brother uh, get his feet wet in that series and to see what can go forward from here with that. Um, I have all the faith in the world that Cody can go win races uh, in any car and that once he gets the experience that all these other drivers have in that series, that he can go run hard and, and even possibly go chase for a championship um, because I know that that's how gifted and, and blessed that he is um, with road racing and just motorsports in general. But uh, my dad loves it. I mean, all the time we always, as a family, used to watch Formula One, any car, all that kind of stuff. I mean, like I said, we're love motorsports in general so it's really cool to see us get involved in that um to be a part of another huge um series in racing uh that's uh widely known around the world is really cool and um we'll see where it goes you know i, uh, I think this guy's looking for us right yeah, uh, it's so cool. I know for sure for you, like how, how how much how much experience you got on road racing? Like, are you you excited about getting on some road courses maybe in the future? How you feel about that? 
Yeah, I, I really like road racing. I've had I've had success in road racing, legend cars, and other things like that. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I definitely enjoy it. Um, I'm not necessarily too focused or um, trying to, per se, a full time dedicated road racing um, career. Um, yeah. I'm definitely trying to stay focused and put all my effort and energy to the uh, stock car side and, and NASCAR in general, um, because I feel like um, if I keep my head and, and stay focused in that area, that I could be very successful um, in that. Um, but I'm definitely open to things like running any car race, doing some road, cor- road course races like the LMP2 stuff. My brother uh, won the championship over and uh, – won the championship in overseas. I mean, I'm open to whatever kind of racing I can get my feet in. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to stay focused on the NASCAR side of things and, and really put my effort in and, and, and all that I got into that, you know. Yeah, and one more thing kind of regarding, like, everybody at Rickware Racing. I, I love, you know, the talent, the driver talent that's over there. Like, you may not necessarily have the budget to go out there and compete, you know, especially in the Cup Series, which how, you know, how big the gap is. You know, next, we'll see how things go with the next gen, everything like that. But I feel like, you know, Rickware Racing, while, you know, you guys have a great group of people, we also have, a, like, a great group of talented drivers, like with you and Cody and J.J. Yaley, Davison, B- Balicki. Uh, things like that. I mean, you guys have a great crop of talented drivers, and I'm sure that's that's always good to to build on as well. Oh yeah, no, that's 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 one of the that's one of the really good things that we have going for us. I mean, because guys like Josh Balicki and Cody and and and, and James Davison, like those are guys that are very gifted stock car drivers and on short tracks, but they can also go over and they can be extremely competitive on the road racing side as well. So, I, I mean, what's better than, than having guys that are very capable and extremely talented um, on short tracks to say, hey, get some money together and, and, and for a group of guys like that to go run like the 24 hours of Daytona or go run in Le Mans. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're very capable drivers and, and, they're, and they're different because not a, lot of, not a lot of stock car guys can go hop into a sports car or go hop into something else and go race hard um, on a road course and go for a win or even possibly a championship in the near future, you know? Yeah, so. man. It's, it's so cool to see what everybody's doing. And I know for, for yourself and your fans, where, where can, where do you think everyone uh, should be able to see you next on this Xfinity series schedule this year? Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, some people know, some people don't, but uh, we're working towards getting a, a deal locked in and, and to make, uh, to make next year uh, full-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Um, that's something that we're working hard towards and uh, working on getting deals and sponsorship put together. But um, regardless, you'll definitely see me in some more Xfinity races this year. Um, and I'll definitely be around here uh, uh, next year in 2022. Um, but it's uh, looking pretty pretty strong that I will be full-time. So I'll definitely be around. I'm here to race. I'm here to prove myself and also – uh, prove what uh, RWR as a whole is capable of and um, showcase the talent that we have over there. Yeah, capable of big things. And Carson, thank you so much for coming on on the podcast with myself today. And uh, we appreciate you. having you on and, and you're always welcome to come on. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you guys. Love what you guys are doing, man. And uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you guys again soon, man. 
Awesome, awesome. Carson Ware, everybody, our guest today on the Drivers Meeting Podcast. And obviously, we had Tommy Joe and myself talking earlier about the Coliseum, about the next-gen car, about so many things. And as I noted, we have Richmond coming up this weekend. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode. Thanks to Bet Online Balance 7 for sponsoring. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.